I'm Morgan Mercer, the founder and CEO of Vantage Point, and this is Catalyst of Change, where we dive deep into direct insights and learn the tips, mindset shifts, and tools from the world's most innovative leaders on how every person can catalyze change within the world. Subscribe now so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at TryVantagePoint for more information about the show. A lot has been brought to the forefront of conversation in 2020 regarding the status of diversity in the workplace, and this has been festering for decades, and Vantage Point is identifying key points from leaders on how to create more inclusive spaces. Joining us today is Tammy Rosen. Tammy Rosen is a senior HR executive with leadership expertise at startups and Fortune 100 companies like Atlassian, Luminar Technologies, Apple, and Goldman Sachs. She approaches HR with an agile people centric philosophy, developing cutting edge initiatives that foster inclusion and the advancement of underrepresented populations. Tammy not only sees people as a company's most important asset, but also envisions HR as a disruptive technology, an innovative force that redesigns and elevates businesses, operations, and capabilities beyond what was previously imagined. A recognized thought leader, leadership program educator, and trusted advisor and coach to executive teams, Tammy aims to transform the role of HR into an engine for high performance and innovation, one that motivates talent, executive leadership, and businesses to develop and maintain their full potential and resilience in the face of an ever-evolving landscape. This approach was evident in her instrumental role in developing the framework for the future of work called Team Anywhere, and she has shepherded Atlassian through the recent health and economic crisis. Thank you, Tammy, for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. We had a really dynamic conversation the other day around how pioneering inclusion was actually not a great way to frame what it means to be at the forefront of paving the way for companies and adopting new mindsets in this area. Can you share more about your thoughts here? Sure. You know, I, th- I think it's, it's not pioneering because the challenge with pioneering is that you're being the first. And we've been doing this for so many years. And um, even back at the time when I worked at Goldman Sachs, we've, we've taken um, a first principles lens at it to say, well, what is the challenge we're trying to solve? What is the goal? What are the goals we have and how do we get there? And even with all the best intent and efforts, we haven't made it there. Because if we did, we still wouldn't be talking about it 20 plus years later in my career. Um, so I think it's about innovating and it's about trying to think through what is holding us back from not being able to make the change we all seek. I love that. And so if you were to encourage people to ask that question, right, turn that into a lofty question, what's holding us back from making the change that we all seek? What would come to mind? I would start with culture. And I know that's a broad, um, a broad topic, but culture at its core are those values that a company creates in order for them to achieve their mission. And in that is a collection of norms and then behaviors on how we expect our employees to work. And I think unknowingly, we create these norms that sometimes just don't allow everybody to bring their whole self to the equation for one reason or another, sometimes consciously and sometimes unconsciously. What do some of the norms look like or what are some examples of ways that norms could show up and how could you encourage somebody to 
actually take a step back and realize when a norm might be present within a company's culture. So a good example I like to use is the, a debate culture. And a lot of companies like to use debate in order to really wrestle with issues and tensions in, that are going on in their company. And debate means different things in different companies. So if I look at one company's debate culture, it might be ferociously screaming at each other in the middle of a room with everyone's hands on their table. At others, it might be an email or a Slack exchange. Um, or sometimes it might be somebody writing up a paper and everybody arguing about what the paper they wrote up. Um, but all those are different ways in which you achieve the same outcome, which is to wrestle with an idea and come up with a better one. And sometimes, depending on how you do it, will invite people to the table. And sometimes it actually excludes people from the table, depending on how they like to interact. Some people don't like to speak up or talk over somebody. Sometimes people like to prefer writing as a bet or having time to think about the issue first and then come back to it. But if the norm is that everyone has to be ferociously and ferociously screaming at each other, that may not include everybody's views at the table. Absolutely. So shifting it over to your background, talk me through how you became interested in working in human resources and how have you leveraged some of your previous roles across the span and scope of all that you've done to encourage companies to prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, so I did not go to college uh, to be a human resources executive. Um, and while the dots all connect now looking back, they didn't connect coming out of college. Um, I started out as a loan officer at a bank and then fell into working at a recruiting firm accidentally. And that was where I first found my passion for helping people find their, their dream job. Um, but when I went to the recruiting firm, what I realized quickly is I only helped people get the job. I didn't help them get to the next level. And I hated the fact I couldn't see the full journey. Um, so I decided to leave the recruiting firm and join Goldman Sachs. And frankly, I thought I'm going to start my own company, but I don't have a partner and I don't have the money to do it. So why don't I go to Goldman? I'll work as a contractor for six months, make some money, meet a partner and start my business. Um, I tell people I'm kind of a failed entrepreneur because I spent almost 17 years at Goldman Sachs. Um, maybe I'm an entrepreneur within a company because I, I realize that's where my love for helping people and helping people find their passion and their potential and really realize it at a company. Um, and that it was really my time at Goldman that did that. Um, and to the second part of your question is how are you able to influence um, I think it's seeing the problems and then trying to find solutions. So um, the great example and my most, um, you know, um, my greatest accomplishment was starting the LGBT ally program at Goldman Sachs. And the issue there was that there was one person on the out list and there was hundreds that were on sort of the quiet list. And the only person that knew that differential was the one person who was on the out list and a couple of us in, in the people teams across uh, um, Goldman. And I found that to be really weird that someone could not bring themselves to, the, you know, their whole self to the equation and tell their managers. Now, many of them would tell me or they come out to me and I'd say, well, that's great. You're coming out to me, but I can't help you. You have to come out to your team so you could be who you are and not have this divide and, and using that cognitive load to say, what did I say to this person? What did I say to that person? And and what I noticed is the second someone did come out to their team, their career soared. They were able to kind of come to work really feeling like they belonged and unencumbered to do their best work. 
and I saw this people gets a partner. Um, and that's an example of like seeing a problem, finding a solution, and then creating something that worked only for Goldman, but then realizing it couldn't just be for Goldman, it had to be for the rest of Wall Street. I love that. So one thing that really resonates uh, for me listening to that is that you really are an entrepreneur within a company because you literally saw a problem, you engineered a solution to the problem in a way that impacted everyone within the company and even people outside of the company. So talk me through you know, how you did that, talk me through what thought process was like, what was it like to actually adopt, you know, a completely new way of thinking to create this? Well, I, I think with most entrepreneurs that I talked to today, most people think they're crazy when they come out with the idea. And um, most people do think I'm crazy when I come out with the idea that I have or the view I see or the future I see that can be better. Um, but I never come out with an idea that I don't think we can, we can execute on and actually succeed at. And I've proven that over and over again in my career. Um, but with the LGBT ally program, I remember the first resistance I got was, why do they need allies? Does the black network need white allies? Does the women's network need men allies? And the answer to both of those was yes. But the difference between this population is they were invisible and no one knew who they were. And so you had to have visible allies so that they knew they can feel comfortable to be who they are. And I talk to many people now and, um, I'm constantly still, even to this day, years after leaving Goldman, getting notes from people, thank you for starting the Ally program at Goldman. It's made me who I am. I've been able to do my best work. Um, it's just paid dividends over and over and over again. And it's nice to go back to Goldman and walk in the elevator and someone's like, oh, the first ally is here. Um, you know, the one who actually made the change. Um, but the thought process really comes down to seeing a problem, um, figuring out a solution, working with the right people, getting the right buy-in. I was fortunate to be um, paired up with somebody who was in the securities division who actually was in the network. And we worked hand in hand to try to figure out how step-by-step, division-by-division across the company that we can get the most senior people on board to do this. It took over a year plus to convince the organization um, to get to that first meeting where we allowed allies to walk in the door and support the network. Um, but, you know, and it didn't stop there. You had to continue to refine and perfect and, and make it better. It's so incredible. Another thing that really inspired me and had me thinking was in our advisory board and where you were sharing the concept of the way that you think about identity. So how has the way that you think about identity within the workplace informed, influenced, or what's the relationship between the ally program, your, the way that you you, you know, started thinking through the concept of identity. Walk me through that. Sure. Well, the concept of identity um, was something that um, really um, came to me as we were, as I was working at, at Apple um, during my time at Apple University, because they, we had created a program called Identity as part of our, our training programs for managers. And what was interesting about um, the research around identity is, is that all of us have things that make us unique and all of us have things that are core to us, um, whether it's an affiliation, where we, were, we, where we were brought up, what school we went to, um, our religion, um, a club we're part of, um, just different pieces of who we are. And there's things that are core to us and there are things that are periphery. And depending on those things in your, in your core, depending where you are, you may share some of that with people some of that you may not share, and some of that people may ascribe onto you. 
because that's how they view you or see you. And what's interesting about that is that when you're able to link what's core to you and your identity to either the work you're doing and your passions, you have much more excitement and do much better at whatever work you're doing. And you have much more loyalty because you're excited to be doing it. You're excited to bring who you are to that equation and your expertise to bear. So what's your vision for the future of how companies view identity? Well, I really think that we should get rid of the words diversity, equity, and inclusion, and really start thinking about it as identity and belonging. Because um, all of us have things that make us unique in our identities and are not so obvious to others, and some are obvious to others. And being able to bring that and bring your whole self to the equation will allow you to feel like you belong. And when you belong, you'll be able to actually do your best work. I love that. I completely agree with you. I'm on the same page about DE&I um, as an acronym and as a set of words. So how would you, if you were to, you know, talk to a company, coach a company, advise a company on how to shift the way that they're thinking about culture, diversity, equity, and inclusion, et cetera, and move it towards this identity-centric or identity-focused mindset, what would that look like? Or what would you encourage them to think through? That's a great question. Um, I think what I would want them to think through is, first of all, to really examine their culture itself and the values that they've, um, they feel so strongly about, and, and then look at how their values are manifesting in the day-to-day -day work. Because your culture at the core it, uh, is really just the behaviors you reward and the behaviors you punish. So even if you have beautiful glossies all over the wall, it's not really what your culture is. It's those decisions you make and how you actually managed through those decisions. And people look at that. Um, so the first thing to do is to really see, is your culture actually happening in practice? What you say is what you do. And is there a congruence there? And then the second piece is to then look at your processes and like whether it's your performance review process or your um, compensation processes or your promotion cycles and seeing that are you looking more holistically and are you factoring in a number of different things and taking into account all of what an employee actually brings to the equation, not only in that cycle, but in, that, in the totality of the time that they've been there. Um, a lot of times we're very much focused on the here and now and we have like a recency bias and you have to look at the cumulative effect of somebody's work not just the time in which you're actually reviewing them. It's so interesting how you, you're bringing the recency bias into all of this. Um, it's a really interesting concept to, to ponder more. So, you know, shifting a little bit more towards the way that you have really transformed and trailblazed in this space, how do you view the future of work? And that's a very broad question. So answer it, you know, however it feels most applicable to what's resonating with you. Yeah, so uh, I think COVID has changed us. Um, it has opened our eyes in so many different ways to see that there's other ways in which we can work and we can bring ourselves to, to a company to do the best work we can. Um, so in my view, there are all different flavors and each flavor of the future work for a company is only gonna be unique to them. And a lot of companies are asking, well, why didn't hybrid work? Or should we go back to the traditional way? Or do I go fully distributed? Those are all the buzzwords that are out there. And what I suggest to companies is to take a step back, 
look at your culture, look at your mission, and design something that works for you. And regardless of the title in which you give it, whether it's remote first, hybrid, or fully distributed, it sort of doesn't matter. What you have to think about is what are what are those norms that are going to carry you forward? And really be agnostic of the place in which you do it. Um, and think about, you know, how you're going to work. Because the only thing that changes is how. Right now, most of us are working from home, but we haven't changed how we work. We just substituted it with Zoom or some video conferencing app. And that is not tenable for people. People are getting Zoom fatigue. They're not actually feeling, you know, that their, their whole selves can be brought to the equation all the time. And they don't have that time to do deep work. So uh, my suggestion is to look at your company, look at your values, look at what matters to you, and then design it around how you want work to happen. And then fill in the gaps on where the places you'll do it. Um, we started, when you think about why, why everything was oriented around an office, is we didn't have technology. And... And as a result, I mean, every day we thought coming to an office, even whether it had an open floor plan or there were or there were offices or a mixed, whatever it was, that we had the most productive days. We collaborated incredibly. The collisions created amazing innovation at the water cooler. And we were just so productive. And we all know that's not true. Because if that was true, the number one line item in companies wouldn't be offsites where people go away to some beautiful location as a team to actually try to get work done. So I, I recommend to people start with the equation of how do we want to work? What's most important to us? What are our values? What are our mission that we're trying to achieve? And then design the work around that and then come back and say, where do we want to do it? Is it in an office? Is it, an, it, is it half in an office or is it sometimes um, digitally? Is it um, in WeWork spaces? Whatever. I love that. One of the concepts I was actually pondering, um, just to you know, riff off of that, I was pondering the difference between innovative and inventive, right? For me, and what you were just saying is that we're being innovative, quote unquote, right? We're saying, okay, well, now we're going to move towards um, doing everything over Zoom, or now we're going to move towards using these Slack plugins to, you know, to get our team to collaborate and to talk to each other and to encourage communication. Um, but we're not being inventive. We're not actually looking at the way that we design the system and, and questioning, you know, is this still applicable? Like, can, is this really the best way to do it? Should we really just be taking it and adapting it or should we be designing something completely new? So it's really interesting to hear you say that. And I have even more now to think about after the conversation. Um, so, you know, redirect, redirecting it back to everything that's been going on in 2020. It's been a really big year, you know, not just with COVID-19, which already was really big for everyone, um, but with everything going on with Black Lives Matter and really racial injustices and the lack of inclusion and the lack of you know, acceptance, acknowledgement, and a safe space for people's identities being brought to the forefront. So how do you think that the conversation within these spaces that you know, the inclusion spaces, diversity, equity, and inclusion spaces um, has shifted in 2020? Well, the great thing is it's now on the top of the agenda and it's on everybody's minds. And, and that, that is um, the most important thing that it's now something everybody's talking about. 
Um, and talking is the first piece of it is, is getting to that awareness factor, um, but that's not enough. And I know many are worried that the window will close and that, and that companies will be more focused on revenues and productivity than they are about focusing on inclusion or supporting employees through the next wave of what happens with COVID. And that's a fear um, for sure. But I say from all of the employees and even the HR leaders out there, don't let that window close. Um, this is an opportunity to actually make real change happen and to really get what all of us desire, a place to go to do our best work where we can bring our whole self to the equation and feel like we belong. And that sounds simple, but it's been hard to solve for for many, many decades. So how do we do that is up to us to really take the charge and say it really has to go back to looking at the baseline at a white sheet of, sheet of paper and say, if I were to design a company today, knowing full well that I wanted everybody to be able to bring their whole self to the equation and unencumbered to do it, at the same time, I knew that there was this crazy disease out there that would prevent people from being healthy. How would I design a company that can keep people healthy and be able to bring their best to the equation so they can do their best work? And really go to that first, first um, mindset, that first beginner's mindset and, and start from scratch. We keep trying to design on top of systems that have not worked. And that is not, is almost like just a veneer that you're putting on or window dressing, as I would call it. What I love so much about everything you say is that you really do have such a founder's mindset because quite literally the beginner's mindset is what every single startup, you know, ascribes to. And I think it's interesting because a lot of startups still have a lot of these cultural issues that we're seeing with companies that have been around for decades and sometimes, you know, significantly longer. So it's actually saying the mindset that we are encouraging companies to adopt when they're thinking through product, when they're thinking through, you know, innovation, we actually need to be adopting that for these same, you know, functions within a company. Um, so that's, it's really cool to, you know, to hear a leader within the space that thinks like that. And I'm sure that's, you know, partially why you've been able to create so many incredible and impactful programs. Um, you know, one thing that I am curious about is in terms of, in the broader context of inclusion and identity, right? How do we take that and how do we build systems that work and how do we build cultures that work within a new remote or hybrid um, distributed workforce? You know, I wish I had the, the, the answers to all of those questions, but I would say that the only way to actually solve them is to try different things out and be agile about it and really iterate um, because that's the only way you're going to know if it works or it doesn't work. I do have concerns that in a more remote, um, I hate to use the word remote, I would say in a more distributed fashion of work um, where people are not 100% in an office every day, I do think it's going to be harder for people um, uh, from unrepresented groups, especially women, to be able to have their voices heard um, and not be talked over. Or, you know, you go from Zoom to Zoom to Zoom and you don't have that moment to connect between meetings that you used to have when you walked from one place to the next in an office building. So I do think you're going to have to spend a lot of time really being innovative or even inventive, as you said, about how you think that that collaboration has to be done intentionally. So I said before that people went and did offsites and 
that that they felt because of that connection, they were able to do it. So when you think about this future of work, you have to design for the fact that you want your employees to have an ability to harmonize their life and work by figuring out the place in which they can work best and when they can work best. You also want to give yourself that ability to reach talent on borders that you couldn't reach because in the past you were relegated to offices and where people migrated for work. And now you actually can reach further, but that alone is not gonna do it. You have to now pull that together with deep ways to collaborate and feel like people can belong. And at the end of the day, when we come to work for a company, it's part of what goes into our identity and who we are. Um, and because of that, you wanna be able to make sure that they feel they belong and you're going to have to craft new ways of doing that and intentional ways of doing that. So if you decide to have a distributed workforce, you're going to have to think about what are the parameters of how often we do convene in person digitally? How do we manage the, you know, the water cooler talk digitally? All of those different things. And I think it's, it's a, honestly a green field, a green pasture to really design and invent the way we work in a more inclusive and belonging way. That's so interesting. And, you know, just tying that to the thing that we were discussing previously around not letting the door close, right? The concern and the fear around um, diversity and inclusion, anti-racism, et cetera, and not letting the door close. One thing that I'm seeing a lot of is I'm seeing a lot of companies hiring a chief diversity officer for the first time. Um, you know, we know a lot of companies who are hiring a chief diversity officer for the first time. I think, you know, on a personal level, as a, a black person, as a black woman, you know, during the first portion of the movement, I was very disheartened. Um, it was pretty disheartened to see everything, right? And then I had a really great conversation actually two days ago with a friend who's a diversity and inclusion specialist within the space um, now at a Fortune 100 tech company. And we were having a conversation and she was like, you know, and she was just hired in and she was like, I'm actually really excited because anti-racism is a word that's never been in our vocabulary. Now it's in the vocabulary of every company. <laughs> you know, it's quite literally a word that we weren't using six months ago. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. That's actually a great point. So, you know, moving forward, that's actually a word that will be in the agenda of leaders, right? And it's not one that we're, we're adopting. And then, you know, in six months, it's passed. It's one that's quite literally a part of our curriculum and quite literally a part of the way that we are going to be designing um, our programs, our initiatives, you know, even our internal company metrics. And so part of me is actually hopeful, and I'm curious what your take is on this, part of me is actually hopeful that companies are hiring chief diversity officers to make sure that the door doesn't close and to make sure that there's actually somebody who's responsible within the company. And of course, every leader within the company is responsible for it. But there's somebody who's actually helping to set these metrics and these initiatives and to make sure that the baton is being passed forward. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I'm hopeful as well, and I'm glad that um, the vernacular is changing and that there's, um, there's a discussion that can be much more open and, and, um, and even at times uncomfortable and people are willing to have those uncomfortable conversations. Um, so I'm, I am hopeful. I think um, it, it never is an army of one. Um, so I, 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 what I put out to the leadership teams and also the HR teams and just everyone at the company, support your diversity officer, give them the platform and the support they need, help them um, evangelize the work that we're trying to do, um, and really look to them as the leader who's going to help, um, you know, kind of pave the way, but you have to be with them um, 
marching along. So um, it's not going to take one person, but I am super hopeful. And I have a lot of great friends in these roles, and I think they're going to do amazing work. The other thing I would challenge every company to do is work together. And I know that sounds odd because some of you compete with each other, but the only way we get better at helping to move the needle on this is if we share best practices, if we um, show our learnings um, and that we know how to fail and get back up and start again. You know, when we did the ally program, we did a lot of work supporting other companies and helping them to build their ally programs and then building out on the street, which was a consortium across all of the Wall Street um, companies. And the point of that is, if you're coming out of college, you want to know, is there an industry that's going to care for me? And that was a signal um, by saying an industry that predominantly didn't feel didn't have that reputation actually was changing. And it's not just one company that will succeed, it will be all. So I say, I'm, I'm a big fan of everybody coming together and supporting each other in this. Tammy, for creating the initiatives that unite Silicon Valley around these issues. I'm all for it, I'm all about it. So for any leader within the space who wants to be a change agent, what's the way to do it? Great question, and um, I have to be um, say that a lot of people say I'm a change agent. I'm someone who comes in, looks at a problem, finds a solution, and then builds the stakeholders around it to see it get implemented. Um, and um, I think the best way to do it is to build relationships. And a lot of times when you're in the people space um, or in the HR side, you're focused on HR things. And you really have to be someone who understands the business fundamentally and understands the mission and where you're going. And then you have to build great relationships. It's not about just doing something for a client and servicing them. It's building a bi-directional relationship and helping them to help your ideas get better by them pressure testing them, but then also them adding to it. And then they become a stakeholder and help them to help sell what you're trying to do. It takes an army to make any change happen. We know that in anything that we do. So it starts small, start with your idea, go around, get people to pressure test it with you, to give you ideas, to challenge it, to shape it, and then collectively form a, a group of people that actually believe in where you're going and then helps you to sell it and then implement it. Awesome. Thank you, Tammy, for your perspective. And thank you for joining our podcast. It was lovely to have you on. Thank you so much, Morgan. It's been great to be here and love the work that you and the Vantage team are doing. Thank you.